I'm Brian Levy. I am a partner at Manchester Living and the host of the Manchester Living podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to help people navigate the complex maze of elder care. And there is a lexicon on the website at manchesterlivingpodcast.com of all sorts of elder care terms we may or may not mention on today's show. Um, I'm switching things up a little bit. We're going to do the nugget first and the new and noteworthy at the end of the show. The nugget today, um, since the purpose of the podcast is to help people navigate the complex maze of elder care, that also includes treatments as well. So let's kick off with the first quote. I tried marijuana once. I did not inhale. Bill Clinton. That's not a drug. It's a leaf. Arnold Schwarzenegger. When I was a kid, I inhaled frequently. That was the point. Barack Obama. (laughs) Herb is a healing of a nation. Alcohol is the destruction. Bob Marley. The biggest killer on the planet is stress, and I still think the best medicine is and always has been cannabis. Willie Nelson. From a natural stiffness, I melted into a grinning tolerance. Walking on the streets became a high adventure. Eating my mother's huge dinners and opulent entertainment and playing with my son was a side-cracking hilarity. For the first time, life amused me. Maya Angelou. Let's jump in. Today's topic is medical cannabis. According to the recent study in the Journal of American Medical Association, cannabis use among older adults, 65 or older, in the U.S. has been steadily increasing and is becoming more mainstream. Most older adults use cannabis after the age of 60, primarily for medical purposes to treat pain, insomnia, anxiety, blood pressure, appetite, seizures, and depression. Applications of cannabis include, but are not limited to, brownies, candy, smoke, vape, beverages, capsule, lozenges, and tincture. My guest today, Dr. Francisco Daniel Madrano, MD, board-certified internal medicine and hospice and palliative care, thank you for being here, and Richard Chang, attorney at Weaver, Johnston & Nelson, licensed in Texas and Minnesota, in addition to being an adjunct professor at University of Texas teaching cannabis law. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. So as we're talking about the um, applications and use of medical marijuana here in the state of Texas, how did you get involved in in medical marijuana? Uh, So we got involved. I got involved uh, by accident, which kind of tells you a lot about medical cannabis in Texas. They don't come out and tell you that it's available as a physician. So uh, we got involved through the hospice and palliative care arena. My partner and I, Melissa Trevino, we founded a hospice agency for our love of hospice and palliative care. And then we bumped into, in 2019, the fact that you give medical cannabis to a lot of our patients who already had the diagnosis in our hospice. So we just jumped right in. We knew that it was a, a tool that we could help our patients uh, obtain comfort and relief, and hence founded Cannabis RX, which is our medical marijuana clinic in Houston. And, uh, and it couples with that sister uh, hospice agency in order to provide these patients that medical cannabis. Interesting. Okay. We've got a lot of questions to get to today, so we're going to kind of speed through it. Um, okay. I hope my listeners can listen fast because we do have a lot of material to get to. Discuss the difference between hemp, CBD, and THC. Richard, do well, you want to take that yeah, one? That, go ahead, Richard. Yeah. So um, the term cannabis is in reference to the plant, right? And when you hear the term THC or CBD, that's really in reference to the cannabinoid that's within the cannabis plant. Um, You know, all we hear about is THC or CBD. Those are just two of 
over 160 different types of cannabinoids in a typical cannabis plant. And, you know, we, there's CBG, there's CBN, there's all different types of cannabinoids in there. Um, so the terminolo- from a terminology standpoint, people get confused. Um, you know, everything that's within the cannabis category, uh, whether it's hemp or or marijuana, it's it's all part of the cannabis plant. So one of my, one of my pet peeves is uh, when people say, "Oh, well, you know, it's hemp; it's not cannabis." Well, no, hemp is actually cannabis. Uh, it the only differentiation factor is the amount of THC that's in it. And the THC mm-hmm. is the psychedelic qualities of. That's correct. So THC or Delta 9 THC is the uh, cannabinoid that causes the psychoactive reaction. Uh, the hot topic or the really the, the product that's pretty, uh, that's pretty controversial right now is Delta 8 THC. Uh, but that's, you know, obviously a different discussion. But t- to your point, THC is the cannabinoid that causes the psychoactive reaction. Okay. And as a doctor, how did you get into this and how were you able to prescribe marijuana in the medical industry in Texas. Right. So um, we, we did a lot of homework, a lot of research. We know that there's uh, two dispensaries um, where there's three licenses in Texas. Two are active making medical cannabis, medical grade cannabis. And uh, once we uh, registered with the state as a physician to to actually prescribe the medication, because we consider it a medication after all, as a physician, uh, we would identify the patient that meets criteria, prescribe it. And like any other medication as a physician, you follow the uh, you follow the, the, the side effects, if any, and the, uh, the benefits they may have. So how does a patient get a medical marijuana card in the state of Texas, and where do they go to redeem it, if you will, or to use right. it? So the great thing about Texas, they don't have a, a, you don't need a medical card. Okay. Like Unlike Oklahoma or California, we were talking about earlier, here in Texas, as long as you have a physician that is state uh, registered with that CURT system, Compassionate uh, Use Registry of Texas, which is a program the state of Texas um, uses to to essentially monitor medical cannabis. So that physician is registered, identifies a patient, and a patient is qualifies. That's how they get the uh, cannabis. So they have to find a physician that is um, state-sponsored in that, in that program. I'm still unclear mm-hmm. on if I'm a patient. Yes. Say I have some ailment, whether it's depression or anxiety or whatever it is. Yes. And I go to you mm-hmm. and you say, Brian, I'm going to prescribe medical marijuana to you. What do I do with that? Correct. So... You, you see me as a physician. I say you qualify for it. I educate you about it because it's not very common. And then that prescription goes into a state system here in Texas. And the dispensary sees that prescription and the dispensary reaches out to you and vice versa to, um, to basically organize delivery of that medication. And are the prices comparable to other states in, in the medical marijuana field? They are. They can be as, as little as $30 for a 30-day supply, up to $300 depending on the concentration. And that's not covered by insurance? I that guess. is not covered by insurance. I didn't think so. Right. So feedback on the clinical results from patients that you've treated in the past? Uh, very good. The grand majority of the patients uh, get benefit from the medical cannabis. We've had patients who've come off opioids, benzodiazepines, which is your Valium and your Xanax, uh, and able to use medical cannabis solely for their symptoms. We've had uh, success with hospice and non-hospice patients. So one thing I want to clarify, although we use it for hospice patients, you don't have to be a hospice patient. There are plenty of patients out there that fit the criteria for medical cannabis that are just common folks who are not suffering from a um, life-ending terminal diagnosis. And so they're able to get that. don't get me wrong. We do have some patients who we put on medical cannabis, and unfortunately, it didn't do much for them. 
but I would say the grand majority of them have uh, have some success stories with the use. Give me give me a story. Yeah, sure. So um, I'll give you a young and an, an older patient. Okay. Uh, older patient, dementia, vascular dementia, was on four medications, including an opioid and a sedative. Uh, we put them on medical cannabis tincture, uh, able to come off all those medications and the side effects. Tincture. Yeah, so it's an oil, uh-huh. and so you dose it according to the little stopper that has that little bottle. And so now he's on nothing but the medical cannabis. A uh, younger patient, uh, MS, has MS, a lot of issues with MS, was able to come off a couple of his medications. Uh, success story in that because those two other medications he was on were causing a lot of side effects, constipation, you name it, grogginess, now on medical cannabis and deleted the two other medications. So you mentioned tincture, and I appreciate you bringing me back to the list that I mentioned earlier with yes. the brownies, et cetera. Talk a little bit about the application of the different um, ways that people can ingest or use medical marijuana. Sure. Here in Texas, they come in capsule form. Uh, tincture was an oil, which mm-hmm. is an oil. Gummies, lozenges, and a spray. Uh, those are the big, oh, and then a cream. There's a cream, which we've yet to use. I've used it, I think, on one page and haven't got the feedback yet. Uh, but those are the formulations you can order as a physician. Richard, what do you see of the future in medical cannabis in, uh, in the state of Texas? Well, in the state of Texas, it's uh, it's pretty interesting history, right? So um, Greg Abbott passed the Texas Compassionate Use Program with the Texas Compassionate Use Act in two, uh, June 1st, 2015. Uh, when it was passed under Senate Bill 339, um, you really only had one qualifying condition, and that was intractable epilepsy, which is uh, statutorily defined. And as Dr. Madrano mentioned, um, MS and all those other conditions, um, in the state of Texas, they've... Uh, They've, they've broadened the number of qualifying conditions over time. So we had 15 and 17, not much movement. And then ni- 19 was uh, when they, uh, in the state of Texas, they increased the number of qualifying conditions from one to eight. Currently, there's over 60 different bills and sitting in the legislature that's related to cannabis. Um, and when I say it's related to cannabis, everything from decriminalization to medical uh, marijuana, um, the broadening of the medical marijuana program, uh, hemp, uh, constitutional amendments, and so forth. Um, the one that's probably more, most likely to get some traction is uh, House Bill 1535. It's a it's a bill that's sponsored by Stephanie Click, which was she was one of the original supporters of uh, Senate Bill 339 in 2015. And if that passes, which it did pass the House on the second reading, uh, I believe it was like late last week. Um, now it's sitting in the Senate, and I expect it to be chopped up and to, to be amended, uh, hopefully not too much. But assuming it passes, um, it's probably it's, it'll increase the number of qualifying conditions from, from 8 to 12. And it's also going to increase the, uh, the amount of THC that's allowed. Very interesting. It's, it really yeah. is just fascinating. You know, you see it's so common in other states, and here it's mm-hmm. like taboo still. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Which... And, and, you know, I'll say this is that, you know, you, you take states like um, New Mexico, you know, before they they legalized it for um, adult use um, over, about a month ago, or maybe it was less than that. Um, the number of qualifying conditions in the state of New Mexico was, I believe, either 33 or 35. Um, you know, that's substantially broader than what we have. And we've been sitting on this for what, four or five, six years now. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and to add to that, the uh, here in Texas with with the uh, diagnosis we have now, about two million Texans qualify for this. We only have thirty five hundred patients right. on it right now. Thirty five hundred. 
in comparison, Oklahoma has 350,000, give or take, uh, patients on medical cannabis. I think the original uh, 339, when it came out in 15, it was anticipated for entrapped epilepsy for about 150,000 patients, the original estimated amount. To his point, when they brought it, it, I mean, there are a number of people who are actually eligible for this, but you're looking at a fraction of that, under 4,000. Right. right? So... um, in my, in my, from my perspective, it's it's really about a, a lack of awareness and lack of education. It, it's not just common people. It's it's even physicians and lawyers, yep. right? Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times I've been in a room where I talk about um, the legalization of cannabis or the fact that we have a medical marijuana program here in Texas. And it's a room full of lawyers, and ninety percent of them look at each other and say, "We have a medical marijuana program." Yeah. Uh, that happens all the time. Yeah. yeah, that happens with physicians all the time. So yeah. it's just not mainstream. So no. you talked about state government. Talk about federal government and tell me how that landscape is changing. Yeah, you know. So I got into this industry in late 2013. Of course, when I got into it, um, you know, historically I've always been a healthcare regulatory and corporate attorney. And when I got into it, the you know, I you know, people looked at me as if I had three heads, right? And it was interesting. The the path that I got to where I you know into the industry was pretty interesting. But when I got into it in late 2013, you, you still had the the sentiment of, you know, um, he must be a pot lawyer or, you know, um, you know, why, why, why is he getting into this industry? So in, my point is in the last seven and a half years, I think it's changed dramatically. If you look at the Gallup poll, for example, and I believe it's like uh, 19, um, I want to say 1970, the, the approval rating for the Gallup poll is about 12% for the legalization of, um, of cannabis. Fast forward 2021, um, the latest Gallup poll is over 70%. So you're looking at a multiple of, you know, I'm not good with math, but that's a, to go from 12% to over 70%, I think it conveys the, um, the sentiments of the nation and the, the momentum the cannabis industry is gaining. And the perspectives, quite frankly, are changing. And if you look at the statistics, there's really two main factors that changes or that impacts a person's um, attitude towards cannabis legalization. That's partisanship and that's generation, right? So anybody over the age of 65 typically has a very, very low, um, I guess, uh, they, they have a they have a somewhat of a negative attitude. I mean, keep in mind, this is the era that grew up in the era of reefer madness and, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. And you know, the war on drugs yeah. and everything yeah. else, right? And so, you know, that's one big factor, generational. Uh, and the other one is, uh, tip, you know, it's it's been it's been shown that typically Republicans have a generally a lower approval rating for legalization of cannabis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some typical concerns of healthcare providers when cannabis is involved and address the addictive? or lack thereof qualities of, yeah. of medical marijuana? Uh, it, it, so there's two main issues with physicians, especially the ones I talk to. One is gonna be um, the medical legal. They're, they're afraid to prescribe it. It's a schedule one medication. Federal law says it's illegal. Schedule one, you can't use it uh, to treat a disease process, nor can you do research with it, a high you know, propensity for abuse. So you mention medical cannabis to most physicians and they run. They don't wanna hear about it. You're not taught about it in med school. Med school, you're taught about the abuse uh, alongside with heroin and cocaine, et cetera, but not as medical properties. So they're already afraid. They don't know how to proceed. One of the reasons we I connected with Richard was just for that reason. If I was gonna prescribe it, I wanted to make sure I was, um, I was doing the right thing compliance-wise for the state, medical legal, so that I wouldn't get in trouble. Um, and then what was the second part, Brian, of that question? 
the addictive addictive qualities right. or lack thereof. A very low risk for addiction. Just the THC is just too low. You would have to give a person a extreme amount of that medication, the way the concentration is of the THC, the psychoactive ingredient, to really get them quote unquote hooked on it. It it's just it's just not high enough, right? That's no pun intended. Uh, it's just not high enough to get somebody addicted to it. Right now, the risk is extremely low for that to happen. What is the story? Uh, nobody's died overdosing on marijuana. Right. They just overdosed on <laughs> cookies. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 We even have a slide when we do presentations, a slide of all the medicines, even prescription medicines that people die from. Right. Every year, and medical cannabis, cannabis in general, is just like at the very bottom. Right. Right. Um, does cannabis impact other industries or how other other businesses operate? You want to address that, Richard? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'll touch on what uh, Dr. Medrano said is that um, from a legal standpoint with healthcare providers and physicians, depending on what type of healthcare provider you are, um, you have different concerns. Um, most of the questions I get from my healthcare clients are, you know, how does that impact my DEA registration? Um, how does it impact my Medicare certification if I were to get involved with uh, with with cannabis, um, you know, there's a there's a really good book that's actually been published by the American Health Law Association, um, and that talks about different aspects of healthcare, different spectrums of healthcare, and you know the consequences of cannabis. And I was uh, fortunate enough to co-author a chapter in that book, and it, they talk about. Um, for example, nursing homes using a lockbox program to hold cannabis products, right? Um, physicians uh, being concerned about um, medical board issues. Some medical boards are a little bit more liberal than others. It's a state-by-state issue. Uh, I think to, to, to answer your, the second part of your question is that what is this, you know, how does cannabis impact other industries? Um, it impacts a variety of different industries and a variety of different legal practices, to be quite frankly. Um, you're looking at banking issues because it's 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 still a Schedule One drug, right? Under the Control uh, Control Substances Act, so it's federally illegal. Um, you have transportation issues. So back to the federal being federally legal, when somebody buys marijuana mm-hmm. and the dispensary takes cash right. because they can't take a credit card, they have nowhere to put the cash. So it's a very cash-driven is- industry. And as of today, there's only what like. 690 probably under 700 uh banks or financial institutions that will bank this stuff uh, at different levels too um so you're looking at mostly credit unions and community banks but um you know not every bank is a good fit for every type of cannabis business um so to your point yes you have banking issues you have bankruptcy concerns what if a cannabis company uh, or a cannabis business uh it has poor cash flow and they're they you know they want to file for bankruptcy there's some limitations mm-hmm. on that there's tax issues mm-hmm. um there are only certain types of deductions that you can make that a normal business would be able to take, could take advantage of that you couldn't you have real estate real estate concerns transportation um capital raises you know how do you go public right why are certain uh cannabis companies listed on on nasdaq new york stock exchange but um, but others aren't. You know, what are, what are some limitations on um, corporate transactions? Um, so it, it touches a variety of different industries. Um, how we treat uh, staff, labor employment mm-hmm. concerns. You know, you have that in. Uh, you have that one employee that comes into work says, "Well, you know, I have this condition. I should be. You sh- I should be eligible to take this product." Where. The you know conversely you have the you have the employer that may have a policy against that right so, so do you have any advice on people that are interested in getting into the business yes um, <laughs> f- build a very good team around you 
Um, I, starting I with a great lawyer. <laughs> starting with <laughs> right. a great lawyer. That's right. That's right. Starting with a great lawyer. Get yourself a really good CPA. Get yourself um, uh, a really good insurance broker. Start off with a good team. Um, educate yourself on the industry. I don't know how many times I get phone calls from uh, people that says, I want to do this. I want to do that. I, you know, you know, how can I get started? Well, then I start asking questions. Well, how much research have you done? Do you know about this? Mm-hmm. No. Well, you know, you should really do your homework. So I would say do your homework, surround yourself with people that, um, that are knowledgeable on it and learn from them. And, um, if you're looking at a business, be well capitalized. Um, and yeah, I think the main thing is just to, you know, educate yourself on the industry. Good. From the medical side, do you have any advice on, on people in the medical industry, doctors interested in getting in, in more involved in prescribing? Sure. It's, it's a lot of what Richard says. It's a lot of um, educating yourself. Uh, we go a little further. You have to educate yourself on the actual medication, the dosing, side effects. Um, read as much as you can. on, on, on There are books available where it addresses uh, medical cannabis as a medication. So on that clinical aspect, you want to educate yourself so you know what you're giving the patient. You're, you're asking a patient to ingest something. You want to be responsible um, for the effects. And then what Richard said, right? And then educate yourself on the risks, uh, anything that may affect you or your practice by prescribing medical cannabis. Uh, talk to your partners. Uh, you know, one of my partners, Dr. Parikh, is uh, is actually now coming on board with me to start prescribing it. But but it takes a while to convince a physician to, hey, listen, to, to convince them to say, this is a medication, I'm protected. You know, all the, uh, the loops have been jumped through to be able to prescribe it safely and legally. Do you have patients coming to you asking, hey, you know, mom's going on hospice, what are our options? Yes. Yes, we, we as, and so um, our hospice, one of the hospice was the first one in Houston to recommend medical cannabis for hospice patients. It's on our website. Mm-hmm. It's on our advertising. So when we admit a patient to our hospice services, it comes up almost within 10 minutes. Right. You know, we know you, you, you supply this medication, this medical cannabis. How do we get it? And then subsequently, the family members who actually also have other criteria that are not hospice will ask, well, how can I get it? Right. Patients who come into our clinic primary care as an internist, I get, I get maybe 20% of those patients asking, they ask about CBD first. You know, I'm on CBD. Can you tell me if this is going to interact with my medications? And then I tell them, well, if you fit criteria, you, you can get medical grade CBD and, and marijuana, and that opens up that door. Um, a lot of our patients are doing it, the CBD, and they're not telling us. Mm-hmm. Right? They're, they're ashamed. They want to hide it. They don't want to get in trouble. They think it's illegal. So you'd be surprised how many are getting CBD from other sources, which are not reputable or reliable because you don't know what you're getting. Uh, just briefly, a JAMA uh, study came out, I forget, uh, maybe about five, five years ago. They tasted all the CBD products. I think it was 500 of them. And only a small percentage actually had true CBD in it. The rest were chemicals and fertilizers and olive oil and you name it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really, that's really important to emphasize right now um, is that there's so many products out there. Knowing the source and knowing um, you know, who's actually manufacturing this stuff, where they're more raw materials come from because there you know there's some good stuff out there mm-hmm. and then there's some stuff that has carcinogens metals um you know all kinds of different stuff or it may uh the contents may not truly reflect the you know what's what's in the actual products even if, even though it's on on the box itself right you know mm-hmm. just sitting here listening to you talk about the prescription and they're, they're embarrassed to tell you they're on mm-hmm. cbd but in their purse or in their medicine cabinets a lethal dose of xanax valium and yeah. hydrocodone yeah. 
Great, yeah, great point. Crazy. Great point. Wow. So, Richard, what haven't I asked you that I should be asking you? Wow. You're putting me on the spot. Well, (laughs) this is it. Come on, Professor. Uh, You know, uh, you should probably ask, you know, what what does the future of this industry look like? And I would say, you know, we've barely scratched the surface on the type of studies that... um, that we've done so far. What I'm, what I mean by that is, there's so many other cannabinoids as part of the plant. Um, I, I named off a couple. Um, they're, they're starting to do studies on um, all those other, uh, all those other cannabinoids such as CBG or CBN, and they're finding new studies all the time. Uh, there are companies out there coming up with products that's, uh, that's addressing new um, medical issues. Um, I don't want to really talk about. It. He's probably a little bit better qualified to talk about those but the point is that I think we've just started um, learning about this industry and I think there's a lot more to learn about it and it's a burgeoning industry with a lot of potential great Dr. Morano what haven't (laughs) I asked you that I should be asking you how do we educate these physicians to uh, to be comfortable to prescribe medical cannabis so that's so that's important you know this podcast pushing it out into social media is a big deal um, many of these docs have no idea. Even some of the docs you think would have an idea, like pain specialists, you tell them, hey, I, I prescribe, I'll tell them I prescribe medical cannabis. And they ask me, you mean the CBD oil? You can get on the corner. It's like, no, sir, it's something different. Education is a big deal. Um, getting physicians who are comfortable prescribing to go out and educate other physicians. So if, you, if a physician sees another doc doing it, not getting in trouble, doing it right, yeah. good success rate, they'll follow um, pushing some, maybe pushing a little bit more of education in medical schools, residency training. We don't get any of this in residency. We don't get any of this yeah, in medical I'll, school. I'll, I'll point out something. I was actually talking to a good friend of mine. He uh, he just he, he finished med school about mm-hmm. I guess about a year ago, and we had lunch. He was down in Miami, and I think he was doing his residency. And I just said, "Hey, James, um, just out of curiosity, how much did you learn about cannabis and the endocannabinoid system?" <laughs> He said he got a 20-minute lecture. Yeah, there you go. 20-minute lecture. Wow. And that's right? it. And he's a medical doctor, right? Yeah. And people look to him yeah. for medical advice. And and I jokingly said, and he's a good, you know, he's a good friend of mine. I said, well, in some respects, I actually have had more, more. education yes. on right. endocannabinoid system than you have. And you're a medical doctor, yes. right? And I'm just a lawyer. So. Really? Yeah, agreed. Education is a big deal. We're going to transition to the new and noteworthy segment. There's a, a saying, you never know what someone's going through, so just be kind. And I want to show you a video of, of an, a recent arrest. Ugh. All right, let's stop, ma'am. At 4.37 in the afternoon. I don't think you want to play it this way. On June 26th ma'am. of last year. Police, stop. Loveland officer Austin Hopp confronts a woman walking on the side of the road. You want to stop with lights on, siren? Stop. 73-year-old Karen Garner had just left Walmart where employees called police saying she tried to shoplift. You just left Walmart. Her lawyer says she was confused. You need to be arrested right now? She suffers from dementia. She was picking flowers on her way home. Come on. Come on. I'm going home. All of this happened within one minute of Officer Hop stopping his patrol car. No, no, no. On the ground. Stay on the ground. I'm going home. I'm going home. On the ground. On the ground. If you try to kick me, oh, this is going to be bad. Three minutes later, at 4.39. Stop. Hi. Officer Daria Jalali arrives, and according to the lawsuit, Gardner's shoulder gets dislocated. Great. After about five minutes of struggle, Gardner saying the same phrase over and over. Yeah, we're good. 4.44. 
Sergeant Philip Metzler arrives, asking the officers if they're okay. They put Garner into the patrol car around 4.45. Then the officers brief Sergeant Metzler about what had unfolded over the last 10 minutes. Has she been drinking or something? Or? I have no idea. She hasn't talked to me much. They drive to the police station. You guys grab her arms? Yep. Get there around 5.01. That's okay. We got you. I was going to pay for it. But you didn't. That would be the phrase she would begin repeating as she sat, hands behind her back, handcuffed to a bench. The lawsuit alleges she went without mental health support or medical attention in the six hours that she was in police custody. A fractured and dislocated shoulder, bloody nose, contusions on her knees. When police eventually dropped her off at the jail around 8 o'clock p.m., they wrote in transport paperwork that she didn't have any injuries or illness. Eventually, a deputy realized she was hurt and took her to the hospital at 10.38 at night. Her family's lawyer filed the lawsuit on Wednesday, on nearly a year later. This is so unacceptable and so uncivilized um, that it makes me feel um, ashamed that somehow we got here as a society. The officer in that situation had many options on how to handle it. And let's just say he made poor decisions. Come on, guys, we can do better. All right. To my favorite part of the show, this is a chance for the viewers to get to know you guys. It's called the lightning round. Are you ready? Richard, sure. have you ever broken a bone? Yes. Doc? Yes, my All wrist. Right. <laughs> nice. Do you own a firearm? Richard? Kind of. <laughs> not going <laughs> to elaborate. Do you own a firearm? Yes, sir, I do. Very well. Do you sing karaoke? Yes. Do you sing karaoke? I've never done it. Bungee jump? Yes. Never bungee jump. Met a celebrity? Yes. Yes, in L.A., Jeff Goldblum. There you go. Slept in a tent? Many times. Yes, sir. We're in Texas. Seen the Grand Canyon in person? No. No, not yet. Snow ski or water ski? Snow ski. Both, but I'm really bad at it. I don't do it anymore. Change the tire? <laughs> Many times, unfortunately. Yes, sir. More times than I can remember. Second language? Yes. What is it? Mandarin. Mandarin. No. Si. Español. Si. Que bueno. Um, dream car? Bugatti. Oh, that's nice. Actually, you own a Tim 3 Land Cruiser. I'm happy with that. There you that's go. my dream car. All right, last one. Can you write in cursive? Yes, but not very well. <laughs> yes, I can. Very well. Yeah, doctor's handwriting don't count. That's, that doesn't, that's not part of it. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being on the show today. Tell my viewers the best way to get a hold of you, Richard. Uh, sure. You can go to uh, weberjohnson.com and I have a bio up, uh, on the website, or you can email me at rchang at weaverjohnson.com. Great. Doc? Awesome. We can, you can be reached at canamedrx, C-A-N-N-M-D-R-X.com. Email me directly at fdmedrano at c-a-n-n-m-d-r-x.com. Great. You can find the Manchester Living Podcast on Facebook at Manchester Living Podcast, on the website at manchesterlivingpodcast.com, and on iTunes, Manchester Living Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. If there's ever anything I can do for you, don't hesitate to call. Thanks for watching.